Hello, it is Wednesday, June 3rd, and time for another edition of the Come On Now MMA podcast. Today's first topic, I I looked at what the UFC has coming up on its schedule and the fight cards for the 13th and the 20th, both of which are going to assume they are taking place at the UFC Apex, which is an assumption right now because they have not been approved for the Apex at this time. But uh, both fights only have one fight announced on the UFC's website, and that is something I've been railing against for some time. But it appears that the short notice aspect of booking these fight cards is going to continue and my fear is that it's going to become the norm. And I think this should change some things inside the UFC. And one of those things is pay. Uh, that's the main thing it should change. And another thing, it should maybe change uh, the way the UFC fighters are considered employees or independent contractors. Why I'm saying that is... Uh, the expectation, I think, with booking these fights on short notice is that the UFC fighters are going to uh, be in shape and be ready to accept the fight on ultra short notice and perform at their best, which means they need to stay in fight shape year round. So if your job is to stay in fight shape year round, on the expectation that you could get a fight at any minute, aren't you more than an independent contractor then? If the expectation is always be ready to fight for when the call comes. Uh, You might get a call for a fight in a week's notice. You might get a call for a fight in two weeks or, you know, a month. But now, uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic, the, the rule has been you're going to get a call on very short notice to take a fight. So that kind of changes things, I think. Um, And it should also mean that if you're going to take a fight on short notice, you should probably be compensated for that, for accepting the fight um, on on that kind of notice when you normally would get 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks notice in the past to uh, prepare. There's no preparation time. So now your preparation time is built into your employment, more or less, unless you're going to fight at... Uh, unprepared and not in shape and we all know that it's not healthy to cut x amount uh, uh, an excessive amount of weight in a one week so now you have to kind of stay in a range where you can cut the weight safely within a short period of time so um yeah i really think that this is gonna this could change things if the fighters would pursue it because if you're like i said if your job is to get in shape, stay in shape, and always be ready for a call on short notice. Now you're not an independent contractor. You're always always working and getting ready to, to uh, work for your employer. Will it, be a put, will it be a stretch to do that? Maybe. But I think with everything else that the UFC has done to subvert or to, to avoid uh, uh, making these fighters a uh, employees and not independent contractors 
I think it it's going to add up, and it adds up. Uh, there's a ton of other things you could add on to it, and this is just another one. So I think, yeah, if if your job is to get ready and stay ready, you should be compensated for that year-round, and you should also be maybe considered an employee. Um, so it's, it's something to really think about. Um, and I know there will always be some fighters that will take what the UFC gives them, but there's got to be someone that's going to stand up at some point and say, this is all adding up to make us employees and not independent contractors. Um, probably going to have to wait until the current, um, until we get a change in who's in control of the NLRB. Because right now, the NLRB seems massively in favor of um, management and not labor. So, but yeah, I would uh, I'd make a list and uh, save that list and say these are the reasons why UFC fighters should be employees and always being ready to accept a fight on short notice and always being in fight shape and always being in condition to do your job might be just another reason that the UFC fighters should be considered employees. I meant to talk about this um, earlier this week, but it just kind of slipped my mind. But it's, again, the fact that the UFC allows active fighters to participate as commentators and not reveal that they are teammates or training partners of the fighters that they're covering. And I know we want to believe that the, they're going to cover them, their teammates, uh, without bias, but we've seen in the past that that's not true. Um, an example was Dominic Cruz. I forget who he was uh, covering, but it was one of his teammates. And I believe that person got knocked out and instead of covering the knockout or speaking about anything uh, that was related to the knockout, Cruz just kind of no-sold it and, and didn't say anything. And that's wrong um, because that's, that's not what we expect from a commentator. We expect a commentator to commentate on the fight, uh, good or bad, both sides, and... Just because your teammate got knocked out doesn't mean you shouldn't have anything to offer about the other fighter who won. Well, anyway, back to the point that I, um, of why I don't really like this. Um, we didn't find out that Ivanov uh, uh, was a teammate of Cormier's until after the fight, um, and which explains why Cormier, when... Um, Sakai grabbed the uh, cage, screamed that it was a cage grab, and then calmed down. After the fight, during the commentator, commentators were talk when the commentators were talking about it. Uh, Cormier said that he was a training partner of Ivanov, um, and that's how he found out. So, I don't, I don't, I don't. I have said it before, and I'll say it again. UFC should not allow active fighters to commentate on their teammates or training partners. It's a conflict of interest, and you're not 
going to get a 100% or even close to 100% unbiased opinion. And I know everyone has their biases um, built in, but when you're a teammate, that's especially going to be biased. And you can believe that someone's going to cover it with it without uh, without bias, but I, I don't think that's 100% possible because it's not 100% possible to cover anything without bias. Uh, I know that's what everyone would like to believe about certain things, but it's there's just inbred biases to anyone. Um, it's just it's just going to happen, and to be honest about it, would be better. Uh, but to allow fighters to cover events and fighters and fights that they're going to be biased against seems wrong and it's like it shouldn't happen and i would use for another example with cruz if cruz is going to cover a fight and um keith peterson's refereeing do you think he's going to give peterson the benefit of the doubt after he you know blasted peterson for smelling like alcohol and cigarettes I, I don't believe that he will. And and so I think the UFC needs to remove these biases or potential for biases and uh, either excuse the fighters that are commentating from the fights that their teammates are competing on or give a full disclosure at the start of the fight. So just something I remembered from last week that I wanted to uh, bring up that I had forgotten about. Okay, if you're like me, you got a, a bunch of notes for stuff floating around and occasionally you'll you'll find them and be reminded of what you uh, wrote that note for. And today was one of those days. So my note um, that I found, let me revisit it here, says Anthony Smith um, listened to ref instructions, blueprint, blueprint for a bad ending I think the conversation Smith had that I'm speaking of here was with Ariel Helwani and it was about his fight with Glover Teixeira during that conversation um, Smith said that he believes he's one of the few fighters in the UFC who really gets a detailed explanation from a referee before a fight to know what that referee is going to look for if someone's in a bad spot, whether it be his opponent or him, so that, so he gets a good understanding of what the referee's instructions are going to be when someone's in that bad position. And so he also knows if he is not the one in that bad position, what he needs to do to finish the fight. Now, on the surface, I think that's fantastic. The problem is you get what we saw in Smith's fight with Teixeira. Um, and I argued that Jason Herzog was doing his job correctly in that fight. A lot of people said that they felt that the fight should have been stopped earlier. My argument was um, Smith was doing exactly what Herzog was re requesting of him to stay alive in the fight and to stay active. So when Herzog would request him to fight out of something or move, he followed that instruction, and he got that information, obviously, before the fight when he asked Herzog what he would be looking for. 
So he delivered what Herzog was looking for, and that's what kept him going up until the fifth round when finally Herzog stopped the fight. So while in practice I think this is a fantastic idea, the reality is that uh, this could end up being, like I said in my note that I wrote to myself, a blueprint for a, for a, for a disaster because what we saw was that while Smith was doing enough to stay in the fight, he was also absorbing an enormous amount of damage. And, and knowing that his corner wasn't going to stop the fight, we could be in a position here if, if everyone does what Smith did to a T, that someone's going to end up in a real bad uh, physical condition after the fight. And I'm not talking about a broken orbital bone and a broken nose and some missing teeth. I'm talking in a, in a worst-case scenario kind of amount of damage. So while I like what Smith does in, in theory... And the reality of it is it's, it's, it's pretty dangerous. And so this is another reason I think that more, um, the referee has to have more leeway to stop a fight. Um, and that's going to fall on the commission and on the UFC or another promotion to say, yeah, we, uh, we don't want these fighters to take more damage than they have to and they're going to have to put that decision in the referee's hands now that's going to cause a lot of people to think maybe that these referees are stopping fights early if this if this does happen but I would rather see an early stoppage than a late stoppage any day of the week any time an early stoppage is much, much, much preferable than than a late stoppage. And and if you don't believe that, I, I really, I don't understand that kind of thinking. Um, so, are we going to see some changes in how the the referees are instructed to stop fights? Probably not, because by now most people have already forgotten about the Smith fight just the way it is in, in a sport that has a, a fights every weekend and if if nothing happens immediately a lot of the things get forgotten about and I think this is one of the things that got forgotten about so I would encourage the uh, the commissions and the UFC to maybe go back and watch that fight and see if they can garner or glean anything from um what Smith was doing, how Herzog was following things to the letter of the law and see if things could get changed up a little and maybe get a little more clarity on when to stop a, a fight that's in a in a bad spot. And the, uh, the Smith and Teixeira fight, Smith was in a bad spot. When I, when I followed the NHL, one of my favorite times of the season was salary arbitration time because it was uh, darkly comic to me because you would have 
these players would go in and they would make their case to an arbitrator of why they should be paid more than they were getting. And they would, you know, sing their own praises and come up with comparable stats and show the arbitrator, um, you know, this is why I should get paid more than the team offered me. And then the team would come back and um, totally try and knock that down. And it could get nasty. And I remember uh, reports from back then that Mike Milbury, when he was the GM, I think of the, I think he was with the Islanders at the time, that he was one of the most vicious um, general managers to uh, to deal with during arbitration. And he had actually, um, if I remember this correctly, he had actually had uh, NHL players break down and, and cry during the arbitration because his, his portrayal of these players was so so vicious and, and mean. And then the arbitrator would come to a decision and the, the player would either sign or not. And if he signed, he had to play for this guy who just tore him apart in a sub, an arbitration hearing. Just ripped him relentlessly to the point where he was in tears. And now that guy is your general manager. And it was just, it was just nasty sometimes. And, I, and that's why I think a lot of the times people would settle the players and the teams would settle bef at the last minute because it could create a real toxic environment. And so why do I bring this up? I bring this up because um, UFC fighters obviously do not have salary arbitration, but I would wonder how they would go. And somebody that I was wondering about right now about this is, is John Jones. So... He obviously wants more money for the Ngannou fight to move to heavyweight. Um, he probably deserves more money for that. I mean, not probably. He definitely deserves more money than that for that. And um, the UFC is not going to pay him. So say in a weird kind of uh, uh, other universe that this arbitration could, could decide his salary. And... One thing that he would have on his side was the ridiculous split of revenue between the UFC and the fighters, which is not close to any other sport. So that's one thing Jones could check off. Another thing he could check off is the fact that multiple times while discussing how Jones doesn't deserve what he asked for, um, UFC President Dana White has said, that Jones is without a doubt the greatest of all time in MMA. So that's going to carry a lot of weight if someone would go into an arbitration hearing and say, I think I deserve more money. Um, they don't think I do. But meanwhile, they're out here calling me the greatest of all time and saying that I could have been the LeBron James of MMA. So let's look. What does LeBron James make? And, you know, then you, you start. And, and I think if Jones went to arbitration, I think he would have a lot of things to pull out to, uh, to make his case for earning more money.
Um, but this is and but on the same on the other side, the UFC could bring out all the negative things about him and his arrests and whatnot and uh, whatever um, other items that have not come to light the UFC may know about. Those could all come out in an arbitration hearing as well, and that, while it might not harm Jones's um, salary arbitration, these things come out in in the public, and you know if the UFC knows it's going to lose the salary arbitration, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, it would get just nasty to hurt a fighter's um, earning power and standing with the fans. And, and really damage their image. So I would like, I mean, I would love to see salary arbitration in the UFC. I don't think it's going to happen. I would like to see it for many reasons. One, because of the show it would bring. And two, because I think it would drive up salaries because the obvious thing that everyone would start with it was the revenue split. This is uh, obviously a fantasy, but... You know, I can I can dream every once in a while, right? Um, so maybe it'll happen one day. I'm not going to count on it, but if it does, make sure you tune into these arbitration hearings and, and keep an eye on them, and because uh, they're uh, they can be entertaining. Last thing I have for tonight. Um, is again tied to something that happened recently, um, but just been thinking about it and mulling it over. And that is Dana White's uh, cavalier response to Aaron Broadstetter's question about Jacare Souza, why he wasn't pulled from the uh, Jacksonville event when he told the UFC that he had been in contact with someone um, who might have had COVID 19 and uh, White said at first that he wanted to wait for the test to come back, which, okay, but that doesn't uh, resolve him from not quarantining Souza the minute um, he told the UFC that he had been in contact with someone who possibly had COVID-19. And then when Bronstetter pressed, White got pissed and just said he didn't do it because he didn't want to which worries me greatly when we shift, when the UFC shifts its um, fights to quote-unquote Fight Island, where it's going to, from what I can gather, it's going to uh, oversee the fights itself. And we saw how stringent um, the UFC was when they had a commission to answer to in Florida, they didn't follow their own protocol at all. Um, so I can't imagine that they're going to do any better when they're on an, uh, an island and the only uh, over, um, commission is going to be the UFC itself. So I, I still am disappointed by the lack of transparency by Dana White's attitude that he can do what he wants. Um, so I have no faith in the UFC doing right when it has to oversee its own fights. So um, 
we saw what it did in Florida. Can't imagine it's going to be any better on Fight Island. Uh, I would hope it would be. I would hope that they would continue to improve. But I'm uh, after seeing some things on the first uh, edition of the UFC 250 embedded video that I that violated or seemed to violate the COVID-19 protocols. I don't have much faith that this is going to get any better. And I think we're, once again, going to be down to um, luck with people staying healthy and safe. I don't get it. it you know, the it, White's been telling us that he goes above and beyond in safety, but his words betray his, the actions. That's for sure. So close out on that. Keep an eye on the UFC 250 embedded videos and uh, look to see uh, where where the UFC has fallen short on the COVID-19 protocols because they are. Uh, nah, that's about it. Until tomorrow, stay safe. <laughs>